Bem-vindo, gente. Welcome back to another episode of Si Se Puede here on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. Now, apologies if my voice is a little rough today. I did a full day of tours, and um, my voice is a little shot because of that. But I'm so excited to introduce you all to this amazing episode that we have here today. Now, I was joined by the lovely, wonderful, talented Marissa Garza, a podcaster on the Post Show Recaps Network, currently talking about the Netflix show You. Now, actually, Marissa and Latanya's podcast is the reason I started watching this chaotic show. And one thing I'll say about Joel Goldberg, though, is he's a Latine ally. I will say that. Um, no spoilers. Highly recommend the show and the podcast. But I was joined by Marissa, and we had a lovely conversation talking about what it was like for her growing up as a Mexican-Polish immigrant or daughter of immigrants. Um, also, what it's like to be a white-passing Latina, a woman who is Latina, and uh, the media that shapes your own self-perception. And we share a lot of stories. We had a great time. Um, and I can't wait for you all to check this out. So without further ado, let me throw it to the transition music for my lovely chat with Marissa Garza. Hello, everybody. I am joined by the wonderful Marissa Garza. Marissa, how are you? Hi, Felipe. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Of course. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, I would describe you as one of the most intelligent people in the state of Illinois, but also the planet Earth. <laughs> oh, boy. And Thank I, you. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, Marissa, for those that might not know you yet, mm-hmm. hopefully today mm-hmm. they will change that. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself and like what your background is in terms of like covering film and TV as a television and film consumer and also as yeah. someone from the Latine community? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Marissa Garza. I am from the, sh- the land of Chicago, not Chicago proper, but the land of the um, suburbs. Yes. Yeah. Chicago land. That's, when I moved out here to LA, people are like, where are you from? I'm like, I just say Boston because it's easy. And then if someone's from Massachusetts, then they're like, which yes. part? And yes. But there's like a whole thing here in Chicago. Like, I can't say that I'm from Chicago because I'm not really from Chicago. It's like this whole thing. So Chicago land. I'm from Chicago land. Um, and I have been watching TV pretty much since I was born, <laughs> but I've been covering and analyzing TV for post-show recaps. Most recently in the past year, I've covered things like Wednesday, uh, Cobra Kai, currently covering you. It really allows me to um, have like a community experience with watching television. And I always got in trouble when I was a kid for watching too much TV and then talking about it too much. So now that I get to do that, <laughs> it's kind of it kind of works out for me. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's very relatable in terms of like my parents, like there was always a different phase of my life where my mom was like, why are you watching this? Uh, and like, as I grew up, it would change to a different show. But like, I've always been in love with television. And I can tell just based on like our experiences in the community of post-show recaps that you very much are similar. Yeah, I like to, I see com- I see television as like community storytelling and it's it's fun to share stories with people. So Pusher Recaps gives me a 
great place to do that on the internet at large, but it's nice yeah. to, to have a, a little corner of it um, there. Uh, in terms of my involvement in the Latine community, I am half Mexican on my dad's side. My dad is Mexican. My mom is Polish. So, um, you know, one of the things you, that I have always had trouble with is kind of like identifying with my Latine side. Uh, it's definitely like a calling within me. But one of the things that um, I've experienced is I don't fit fully in one group or the other. So it's actually like television and media. That's really my gateway to exploring that part of my identity. Yeah, no, I, I can empathize with you very much because um, if you're from Chicago land, uh, I'm assuming the suburbs were uh, probably a little bit more white uh, than uh, Chicago itself, similar to Boston. I, I grew up in a suburb, pretty white suburb. And I often had a hard time figuring out my own identity because I'm very white passing. I also have yep. like Middle Eastern Brazilian culture in me. Uh, my grandfather's side of the family is Lebanese and they were immigrants to Brazil. So it's like this whole like, I don't know how to identify And TV sometimes was the first introduction to some of these concepts that are foundational to who I am as a Latino um, here, especially now that I'm out in Los Angeles pursuing a career in film and TV. So I feel like we have a lot of similarities, but also we have different stories, which is why I'm excited to talk to you. And um, also, let me just say, you are one of the trailblazers in the Jenna Ortega uh, cinematic <laughs> universe, and she yeah. is one of the Latinas to watch these days, uh, covering is. Wednesday and you. So um so i'm excited well, to we're like best friends at this point well. right <laughs> yes we love we love jenna ortega in this house excited for screen six um i think that's her next project that's coming out so uh i'm excited to see this young latina trailblazer who's also like super supportive of her community based on everything that i've read about her she's like super um in it with us in terms of like looking for progress and trying to see more latino stories um mm -hmm. on screen um but Marissa, uh, mm -hmm. you've talked about your background with like the coverage and also uh, your uh, background in terms of being uh, Mexican, but uh, do you have a recollection, sorry, words can be hard sometimes. <laughs> uh, do you have a recollection, a recollection of the first time you resonated with like a story uh, because of the background of a character or because of the content of the story mm. because is it was Latine or Hispanic or uh, maybe even the inverse, do you have a recollection of a time that you really struggled to identify with a character that many of your peers might have been connecting with because uh, you felt a dissonance with them? Mm. Yeah, I think for me, one of my first memories of, again, you know, searching for my identity through media, which is its own like how many filters are on that per trail you know yeah. it's not necessarily an authentic search for identity but it's what I had at the time um you know growing up I grew up in the 80s so uh Sesame Street was my go-to I didn't have like um you know Blue's Clues or anything like that I just had Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers to help me through and Marie and Luis on Sesame Street were my first touch points to like oh this is what a family like a Mexican family could look like mainly because I, I would only get glimpses of that when I'd go to my grandparents' house. Go to my grandparents' house. I can listen to to Spanish and understand Spanish. If I try to speak Spanish, it's very basic Spanish, but I do have a native accent. So it can't be like I spent enough time at my grandma's house to get the accent, right? Like that yeah. that says enough there. But I couldn't like I'd come home and it's like 
a different house. So like seeing that in Sesame Street was kind of cool for me to be able to be like, oh, okay, well, that's what that's what I could look like when I grow up or like that's what my life could, I could live on a street where there's a big giant yellow bird and it would be fine <laughs> but big birds an ally my, yeah yeah really is um but they were my first like media portrayal that I can remember of identifying with someone uh in the Latin community and then you know growing up also in the 90s there was the Selena movie and there's a lot to do. Like, I have a lot to say about Selena, the movie, Selena, yeah. but Selena, the person, um, you know, I'd go to my grandma's house and there were pictures of Selena in the hallway. And I was able to kind of put together this picture of like who I saw in the hallway, who I heard on the radio. And then that's when she came out with her English album. And it was kind of just like a moment for me to be like, oh, oh. Okay. And um, Selena's family is from where my dad's family is in Texas. So there's like, there was just, I really connected to her because I could kind of see her, see me, her and me or vice versa in that way. Um, So yeah, those are a couple. And then um, this is again, aging me, but there was a movie called Stand and Deliver with Edward James almost. And he I remember watching my dad watch that movie and that was me being able to say, oh, oh, that's how he sees himself. Like that's how he sees the world type of thing. Cause my dad wasn't really open, still not very open with like emotions or things like that. Um, so uh, through his media choices, I was able to kind of get a sense of like his connection with things. So that's a little bit of, samplings of growing up and how I connected to the to the culture I love hearing people's touchstones like that are relevant to them because also some things are like timeless um as someone who grew up in the late 90s early 2000s Louise and Maria on Mm -hmm. Sesame Street were still around they were like also we had VHS tapes that I would watch so like I watched all the stuff but like just because it's it was like two different decades that doesn't mean that they're not still relevant um like kids these days i assume still watch some dora diego like some of them Mm -hmm. at least um whereas like that also started when i was really young um and then selena like i i feel not shame because it's not fair to put that on younger me but like i feel a lot of like sadness that i didn't get to meet selena until i was like 13 and even then i didn't understand the weight of like how immensely important she was to Latino culture um and then like I over the pandemic I really started to do a lot more research about Selena because Mm -hmm. the show came out and there were Mm -hmm. a lot of like people had a lot of complaints about the show but it's also like her family telling that story so I wanted to like do my own research and learn more about it and like I really like fell into Selena deep rabbit hole like uh a lot of more Selena songs were in my rotation because my family is Brazilian so we didn't really like my parents knew Selena but a lot of the musical touch tones in yeah. my upbringing weren't like uh, Mexican or Central American Latina music. It was more like Brazilian samba. Uh, so that was uh, my research. And now I'm a big Selena fan. I watched the JLo movie in theaters mm-hmm. when it was out in October. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see, like, hopefully we continue to like use these touch points as educational resources for the future generations 
Um, but you're not the first person to mention Stand and Deliver on this podcast. I believe Lyrica <laughs> also mentioned that movie when she was here. Um, so it's it's really cool. And then uh, do you feel like there are any great modern pieces of media that you wish you had when you were younger in terms mm-hmm. of like these Latine shows, movies, even like, I don't know, a podcast as a podcaster? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I had the uh, opportunity to cover A League of Their Own for poster recaps and there were two characters in there that I really wish that I had around when I was growing up. Lupe and Este. Lupe uh, um was kind of like that older daughter character that I could really kind of relate to um, from my own life experience. And then Este was just this young kid who's like just coming here to try and take it all in. And there was a a lot of conversations around like responsibility and like taking care of your family back at home and things like that. You know, um, that was a really, I mean, granted it's a show paced in a different time. but it is a modern take on that, on that story. And I, I enjoyed uh, that portrayal most recently. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. Uh, I still need to check out the show. I remember uh, seeing over the summer, the summer was a really hectic time for me just because uh, I was starting a new job and at the summer season in this tourist attraction that I work in, it was booming. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's like, I have a massive list of like shows from 2022 that I need to like still hit. Like our flag means death is another one that I really want to hit. Mm. Um, so, uh, like, but I hit I hit the big ones. I got Severance. I got, I got uh, like the um, I got Better Call Saul, of course. But um, so, uh, speaking of uh, portrayals in the media, uh, what are some of the most frustrating or harmful stereotypes that you see, or like portrayals of Latine people? Um, and like, do you have any particular like grievances that you want to air mm. right now about how uh, the industry can portray our people and our culture? I think um, there's an interesting conversation going around in mainstream culture and in Latin culture around machismo and just like tax, toxic masculinity as, as a whole. And I think a lot of times um, portrayals of men that we see can have a lot of that machismo around it. Like, uh, I have to do all these things. I have to take care of the family. I don't have time for this. You know, I don't know. I can't really like put it into words, but you know, when you see it machismo. Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, that I would like to see that unpacked a little bit more because, and I'd like to see the intersection between like, what is what does machismo and immigration do to a person? How does that, how does that impact their character? How does that impact um, their identity? Because I, you know, again, the only frame of reference I have really is my dad. And when he came to this country, he like forgot Mexico, like peace out Mexico. I don't want anything to do with that. And even when um, it became available to like have dual citizenship, it's like not something he's generally interested in he's all like on the america side which is i understand i understand why he's the oldest child in the family has to learn the way to help people assimilate all of that stuff um but i i have a feeling some machismo played into that and it like what did he lose in this situation and and i think there's an opportunity for for that type of conversation um through through the stories that we tell yeah, I would love to continue to see this being a discussion that 
the storytellers in this industry have uh, like one of the biggest uh, pursuits of more representation from my understanding is not just on screen, but also behind the scenes. And I think yes. uh, having more people who can resonate with this kind of storytelling is important to tell these stories because there's a way to tell the story and then there's a way to like glorify or like kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, minimize the like storytelling uh, ability. So I, I think that like, this is definitely a story that I think should be explored. And then, uh, however, I also think that it is a nuanced story that there's like a lot oh. of layers that if you have like all these like white guys writing in a writer's room uh, with like one person of color, it's not gonna, it's not gonna pass the, what, do we have a Latina test? Like, you know how there's like the best <laughs> We don't have we the have test for Latinas. Yeah. <laughs> be like, um, I don't know what The Rita Moreno test? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I love her so much. Like, I'm so glad she's in this new 80 for Brady movie. Uh, I was actually listening to the podcast earlier today. I was thinking, oh, if only we were doing that podcast that we did for the patron feed about uh, based on a true story, because that would bring yeah. up 80 for Brady. But, um, you know, did you well, ever see One Day at a Time? I was going to say one day at a time is a great portrayal. Um, it was yeah. so great to see that, that show reimagined for our community and see yeah. it um, talk about and explore things like immigration, uh, sexual identity, gender identity, and then have Rita Moreno be the abuelita in the situation and like try to change with the times, take it all in type of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool. I'm sad it, it got canceled. I'm so upset. Like, uh, I need I I support Gloria Calderon Kelly in everything she does, mm. and I just hope one day they can like finish telling the stories they had because um, it's a long shot. But I love that show so much. It like multiple characters remind me of family members, even though I'm Brazilian and not Cuban. Uh, it still like hits the same like emotional core that we need. Um, uh, you mentioned intersectionality earlier and mm -hmm. like the uh, being like both an immigrant and being Latino and being um, like a man, but like there's like so much intersectionality that I think comes with being Latine. And uh, one of them is like the intersectionality of being like white and Latine or uh, for me, like being bisexual and Latine and other mm -hmm. stuff. So like, uh, do you have any, I mean, as a Latino woman, do you have any thoughts on how we can tell like more intersectional stories for communities mm -hmm. that you might fall under? So, uh, you know, for, just from my own experience with having my dad's side be Mexican and my mom's side be Polish, I will never forget that like a polka is the same type of music as a ranchera. And so like there is commonality between different cultures. And so yeah. if you could find a place where that where that is the common denominator you can set the stage to tell stories that explore intersectionality. Um, what, you know, I think Chicago is a great is a great setting for something like that, mainly because we have large immigrant. I mean, every main city does, um, but there's also you know gentrified that story of uh, the show that was also unfortunately canceled, and that's something like our oh. stories need to stop being canceled. Um, <laughs> but like through gentrification you can kind of unfortunately get to intersectionality because it deals with so many different topics yeah uh i i think it is also like there's a lot of stories to tell you can combine stories like and talk about uh the impacts of gentrification on different minority groups and also yep. like another 
thing that I actually am very passionate about is seeing more Afro-Latina stories. Um, yes. Because a lot of times Hollywood will pick the safe ones, quote unquote, like they're, they're ones with the white passing Latina people. Um, whereas I remember this was like a big discussion around In the Heights and like, I love that movie, mm-hmm. but it could have like also been a little like, even with just like some more background extras that were like uh, both uh, like from Latino and also like Afro-Latino. Um, so I, I think that's like another really important piece. And I'm surprised it's been, I don't know, 10, 11 episodes of the series and we haven't discussed gentrification um, and gentrified <laughs> yet on these this podcast series. So um, I'm glad you brought it up. Well, yeah. And even just this year, I think it's this year in the census, they're having Latino be a like a race you can choose now that's like a whole conversation right because we just talked about like the spectrum of latina people that we have right like there's a skin color spectrum there's sexuality spectrum there's gender spectrum there's so much of a spectrum here and so you know the the question is like I would proudly, you know, check that box because I could never, whenever I would like take a standardized test, I could never choose Caucasian because it would be Caucasian non-Hispanic. Well, guess what? I am Hispanic. So then I would, you know, have to choose Hispanic. So in this case, which I am, I just couldn't choose both things. You could only be one thing. And so, you know, that I think as much as I, I think being able to choose something that like let's me on a census will help us get resources that we need for our communities and things like that uh we can't be put in that one box like that and that's true for many communities i mean the hispanic community as a culture just the word hispanic means you were conquered by spain right like so you have that experience in common and then if you fold in living in america on top of it you know there's just just such a diversity of stories and identities to explore. Yeah, no, and even today, like I told you before we got on the call that I went to Central Casting uh, to do yeah. some background. Like I finally got uh, in the registration line and I had to go do some forms, get take some headshots. Uh, but I, like one of the papers was like, uh, what are you? But then also on the online application, it's like, what roles are you potentially able to play and I'm like I know I like I use ethnic my the fact that people ask me what are you a lot I use that as an advantage and I'm trying to reclaim it like my opening joke in my stand-up set is about being ethnically ambiguous and people asking me that um but I was like I am Middle Eastern I'm Latino but I'm also white the other day someone asked if I was Armenian which I'm not so I was like like put me in however as long as I feel comfortable playing these roles because I am Middle Eastern I am white i am indigenous it's just like a lot of different pockets of mm-hmm. um like culture that like it can be very confusing especially when you're a young kid filling out those like farms and like you're not really grasping what identity means in the same way that me much older in life i can grasp yeah it's like i think we're filling those forms out like in kindergarten how yep. do i know what that means like, I don't know what that means. I remember going home and asking my parents, I was like, I, I checked the Hispanic box. Is that okay? <laughs> like, I, is that I, 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 like, I don't know. <laughs> and for me, there's actually like the additional layer of like, technically I am Hispanic because there were Spanish conquistadors in my ancestry tree probably uh, with mm-hmm. like uh, that 
when they colonized the indigenous people of Brazil or the Spanish and the Portuguese, uh, mostly the Portuguese, but I do have Spanish ancestry if you trace it back, but I don't really identify as Hispanic. Um, and that's like always a big thing because Brazil is part of Latin America. So it's Latine, but mm -hmm. it doesn't speak Spanish. So it's not necessarily considered Hispanic in the same way. So it's like, sometimes they'll just have Hispanic listed. Um, I mean, this was always like a mild gripe and I never did anything, but now I've noticed it's fixed. But um, when I would check the survivor wiki and like look at um, the their category under Hispanic contestants, I was always like, Abby Maria, I don't think is Hispanic. Mm. I think she should be like in a different category. Um, but, and I noticed they have changed that in the recent years. I don't know when, because uh, I never did anything about it. I just remember like being a little like not frustrated but like it was just like something I noticed and um, I'm glad that the conversations are evolving um, to include Brazil and Suriname and Guyana uh, because they are part of Latin America they just don't speak Spanish and I mean we've been here for millions of years like people have lived in Latin America for a very yeah. very 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 long time and those cultures are still ingrained in the people we are today and they are they aren't Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, they are indigenous to that place. I 100% I, I agree. And I wanted to actually ask you, because um, you have very two different backgrounds in being Mexican and Polish, uh, mm -hmm. which is rare because like you have like two parents that have different uh, like stories in terms of like their cultural and ethnic backgrounds. Like, did you ever feel an internal clash about like maybe like, letting one supersede the others or like i'm sure you did because like everyone has identity crisis at different times but do you, did you ever oh. like can you talk through that a little bit yeah sure um so like i mentioned the way that i wanted to or like the only access i had to my culture was through uh media of all kinds music tv uh videos movies um and i always felt kind of weird if i was watching them like in front of my mom like my mom my mom knows that my dad speaks Spanish and like my dad's side of the family is Spanish but I, it wasn't like a shared experience I was really big on like shared experiences with media so um I would always just like listen to my room or like hide off you know hide off but the thing that's really interesting is I didn't have the same and I still don't necessarily have the same passion to listen to Polish music <laughs> not saying that anything like I'm sure there's some really great Polish music out there, but I think that like that speaks to the fact that I kind of know what the white experience is like because I live in a, a system that was made for white people. So I know what that is. And I don't know that much about, you know, the other side of, of my heritage. So I, I lean more in into into figuring that out as opposed to um, the Polish side side of me um and I do remember like I in high school played French horn and um like my grandfather uh, my Polish grandfather <laughs> said to me like you can't play that in a mariachi band and I was like I'm not gonna be joining a mariachi band so like even like if I wasn't doing it it was something that was just like around me even though like the families like got along like we couldn't yeah. like become one family because of that and I was always aware of it because I was kind of like straddling in the middle I was the first granddaughter on both sides still I'm the first granddaughter on both sides um so I felt like a responsibility to like try and mesh 
the two families together. And then that just came to a point where I was like, well, you're adults. <laughs> like, yeah. You do. You do you. Yeah. I am sorry that you had to struggle with that, especially like when you're growing up, when you already are like are trying to figure out your place in the world to like have to feel like you're straddling two different sides of your family and like there you might have to walk on eggshells uh, surrounding like am I too white for my Mexican grandparents yeah. am I too uh too uh, Latina Latina for my Polish grandparents like that must be very hard and exhaustion exhausting so um oh, I, thank you. but I also do want to meet uh multiverse Marissa where she is in a <laughs> mariachi band <laughs> that would be fun I mean like yeah. I would I would like it um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and French words could totally be in a mariachi band. Like, also, yeah. like, that's a whole thing. Like, there's female mariachis now. And I was like, holy cow. Like, there's a whole world. See, I still get excited to try and yeah. think. <laughs> and that's, like, also something about, like, Latina culture. You talked about the machismo. But, like, I'm excited seeing, like, the, the, the doors being broken down, the glass ceilings being shattered in, like, smaller Latina spaces, like mariachi bands um, and other, like, historically masculine uh, activities in these cultures and customs um, so that's it's something that I look forward to seeing more of and hopefully it's just come soon rather than later yeah but, yeah um, so you I, I know you watch Survivor because you mentioned it on a couple of podcasts I don't know your mm. history with reality tv but I know you're mostly focused on the scripted side but are there any examples mm. of like reality experiences with Latina culture or mm. like whether it's positive or negative that you wanted to highlight um and uh, like, I, I do you watch any other reality shows besides Survivor? Survivor's my main one. I did watch some Love Is Blind. Okay. <laughs> like, if you want to count that as reality TV, or I don't not, think it's uh, healthy. <laughs> it's probably not a healthy uh, reflection of Latina no. people on that. If they are of on people that show. in general, of people. I <laughs> just I just think it's its own yeah. thing. Um, but I'm always intrigued by like the experiment part of it yeah. um in terms i i watch uh, amazing race from time to time okay, yeah well watch, that takes um, in mexico every once in a while so like that might be like fun for you <laughs> i my sister and i do talk about uh going uh to me on the amazing race and going to mexico i've not i have not been to mexico either so Ooh. that's something uh i'm ready to do list for sure but you i'm assuming you want to do like the more culturally uh, like exploration, cultural exploration, not just like go to Cabo for a week, which I oh, mean, sounds nice, but you probably want to like, learn great. about it. But no, <laughs> like <laughs> I would, I, um, you know, if I want to go to a resort, I have, I'm fortunate enough to live in a place where there's many choices. Yeah. Um, but I would like to go see, you know, where my family's from and then go to Mexico City. And, um, you know, and that's one thing that my dad brought up too, like when he went to Puerto Vallarta for work which is just weird but he went there and he's like it's so such like a bubble situation where there's the resort and then you like turn he's like I went for a walk everyone else was staying in the in the resort but he wanted to go explore and there's just so much poverty around around it and so I said that if I go to Mexico I'm not gonna I won't put my money there yeah. I will put my money in other places. And I think, you know, that's a, a larger conversation that everyone's having around tourism and whether, you know, it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but it affects White people. Lotus season four, Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll go. I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like such an interesting conversation because I know it's also like a very like big 
spot for uh, gay men specifically. Like they love going yeah. there. So I think that's like an interesting conversation about like tourism and specifically like the tourism uh, industry in Mexico um, and in like these Caribbean islands as well, like where a lot of people go for like these big bashes and then leave. And then, like you said, the people around are the ones more impacted by the tourism department and the industry there. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you also, uh, did you like ever, like what, what would you like to see moving forward in terms of like stories? Uh, you mentioned machismo, but is there anything like about mm. like that is, it could be a, something small, it could be another big topic or like uh, maybe like more. I would, uh, yeah. I would like to see like uh, stories start out where someone isn't a janitor or a cleaning person <laughs> in general. Um, not saying that those people don't have stories to tell, but there's like, we've talked about the diversity of people and experiences to choose from. I, I would also love to see, because I think this is another topic that can be kind of brushed aside within the community, uh, see more LGBTQIA stories. Mm -hmm. Um for the community because I think there's just so much there's we need that in general but within the Latina community we could really have a really good healing moment yeah I think if a we, lot of like we did that. Catholicism in like Latin yes. cultures that like uh when religion and uh queerness sometimes don't like intersect well like in terms of like family stories but that's why when you mentioned Brita Moreno and one day at a time that was like super empowering to see like there are people out there that like are accepting but like also it is a big thing and it also falls back under the machismo category of like uh like how does queerness affect that so that's why also it's disappointing to see a lot of these queer Latina shows end up getting canceled like the I worked on Promised Land which had yeah. a one season run on Hulu you can't even find it on Hulu anymore you have to buy it on iTunes uh, Hulu oh. strike it, which is so disappointing because I would just like it was a comfort show. I watched it like just on loop because it was like, oh, I it, it was like really good. I, I thought like and I know I'm biased, but I had a great time working on it and I had a great time watching it. But there was multiple queer characters in it. Um, and it was just like, OK, that's another queer Latina show that was unceremoniously like axed. Um, and yeah, it's like and a formula that people would like because it's basically Latino succession, but mm. it just wasn't given a chance. <laughs> well, I, I wish uh, I because it was on ABC, right? Like it was on ABC for the first five episodes, but it was going up against the Olympics and at 10 p.m. on Mondays after The Bachelor. So I think it uh, had an uphill climb to start. Um, and yeah, then it got they had a choice in that too. Yeah, like set us up for success, you know? Yeah, like. Um, are there any like I think, big, oh, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, I think um, one of the things that I, I you know, wanna make sure is that we have more stories because the otherwise our stories get told by like mainstream media. So then yeah. otherwise the only net narrative that's out there is um, people come over the border, nobody knows yeah. what that means, <laughs> you know, like, and, and so if we, fine tell that story tell tell a true story of what it means to come to america tell a true story of why people are leaving to you know leaving places to come here and explore that story so that people have 
a more holistic view of the immigrant experience and not just necessarily the immigrant experience of like two generations removed once we're here. Cause I think those stories are also important, but when it comes to changing the landscape that we're living in, we need to have more stories that educate people on our experience. I think mm -hmm. as much as it is important for us to see ourselves reflected in those stories as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree very much about that. Like it's, it's, important that we tell our own stories. Um, otherwise, there are often generalized or stereotypes. Um, mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of nuance given to those characters. And a lot of uh, these characters end up being more two dimensional than their white counterparts. Um, so that's, that's something very important. That's something I am aspiring to do. Like, uh, one of my like goals, in terms of whatever I do with my career is to empower more diverse storytelling especially like geared towards younger generations because I think it's important to start with like empathy and compassion for all people at a young age otherwise like they have to do a lot more unlearning and it's easier to just learn something once um so when I really wanted to work in kids media which I'm still open to I just really don't know what I want to do with my life right now <laughs> um, uh so uh that's something that I've always had as a goal um in terms of like some people out there doing the thing, whether it's like actors, writers, directors, mm. uh, or other like people in the industry. Uh, do you have any people that really stand out to you that you really admire for their work in telling Latina stories or in the projects that they do? I think, you know, anytime America Ferrer does something, I kind of pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, she, I, I remember she came onto the scene in, um, what was the name of that movie uh, real women have curves right yes real women have yeah. curves and she did that intentionally like that was yeah. and she's carried that through pretty much everything even in sisterhood of the traveling pants <laughs> like she's she's like, representing in yeah. in that her, story movie. Well. gotta kick it up like that's yeah. a latina story <laughs> yeah and i mean um not necessarily in the picture she's choosing these days, but Selma Hayek is is now talking more about her experience, you know, yep. um, which is which is cool to hear as someone who's been in the industry for for as long as she has and things like that. Wait, so your there are magic mic is not a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some ladies lived it. It could have been us. <laughs> But, but I mean, she, she's speaking more in Spanish in, in PR things and things like mm -hmm. that. And that to me, when I, I don't necessarily see her as like someone doing the thing, but it's kind of like the comfort level of her is like the barometer of how much she feels surrounded and comfortable enough to talk like that. Yeah. Um, and then like, I'm really sad that, but Los Spookies, Los Spookies. Like why? Why no more? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I mean, there's probably so... a lot of reasons that we can talk about off air. Just I don't want to get. Um, but, yeah, yeah, but it it was so cool to see like that and Encanto. I mean, there's so much like oh, magical realism yeah. like in our cultures that using it as a vehicle to like explore things like generational trauma or like just the human experience I think would be really really cool to see and so yeah. I I wouldn't say I have my eyes on any particular person but I am trying to see more of these type of projects 
pop up into into the zeitgeist uh, because I will like in Kanto it it had some sort of generational trauma tie into me like I could not stop crying and I cried in Coco too like Coco is its own thing but like in Kanto like really hit hit a lot of the you know cultural generational things that uh I experienced I it yeah. it yeah. was just like why are you why why are you attacking me like so personally with this movie yeah. like I love it but I hate it at the same time like every song I was like geez Louise okay yeah. all right um no I would love to see more animated like musicals like for kids like uh Coco you mentioned Encanto I also love Vivo on Netflix which was oh super yeah fun I had a yeah. great time watching like Lin-Manuel Miranda you can keep making these movies for me and I will eat them up like I love these stories especially like for kids to celebrate their culture with like fun and vibrant songs like the fact that we don't talk about Bruno is like the biggest Disney song makes me so happy because that's like a Latino guy did that um yeah I mean I think uh if I remember my Spotify wrapped (laughs) it was mainly Encanto (laughs) there was a lot of Encanto on mine like Dos Aruguitas was up there too and Mm -hmm. like all the whole soundtrack um and I really wanted to go see it at the Hollywood Bowl I know it's on Disney Plus now but I really wanted to go but I was just I didn't want to go to a concert alone. I don't like going to concerts alone because I'm like, I, I want to vibe with someone. I want to like yeah, have fun and like if I'm around nature's. Uh, but um, in terms of, you mentioned something. Oh, the magical realism with Latine stories. Um, I think that's super fascinating and something that hasn't been super tapped into as well. Like in Brazilian culture, uh, there was this show called Invisible City that my mom really likes um, mm. on Netflix, but it's based off like Brazilian folklore characters um kuka you might have seen memes of her she blew up on like the meme circuit like six years ago she's like the little drag queen crocodile as i call her um but like she she is um she is like a big uh, character in brazilian folklore and i mean we don't need more la llorona movies but like there are like these stories that uh these tales that latine parents tell their kids or that are part of their identity that I would love to see like more takes on um, in American media and more learning from these uh, stories that you can like tell creative and innovative ways to share these stories to mainstream audiences. Yeah. I mean, it's, we tell other stories. Why can't we tell ours? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm excited to see what happens, but it's also like frustrating how slowly we end up making progress. Um, uh, and like, just to go back to Selma Hayek speaking in Spanish, because this is something I wrote down that I didn't mention, but uh, mm-hmm. one of my small little serotonin boosts that I've been doing lately is watching actors speak in their native languages. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, like there's like some YouTube compilations of like Latine uh, actors speaking in Spanish or Portuguese. And like, sometimes they're just so fun in like interviews. Um, I know there were like clips of Lupita Nyong'o doing that. Yeah. They were kind of going around with her and Tinoc Huerta. Uh, when they were promoting Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And I was like, that's so cool to me. Um, He's doing the thing. He's doing the thing. Um, And like, that is something I'll say. Like, I think that Black Panther Wakanda Forever was like an incredible piece of media for like talking about like the intersectionality of like being indigenous and being like colonized and like with the more story. Um, That is like something that I hope people look at and be like oh this is like interesting and I think Namor had a point he just went about it the wrong way (laughs) I think um you know it's interesting because our stories uh, again can be cast across a a diverse 
group of people but I think like the main common denominator is we know what it's like to live under whiteness Mm -hmm. and so if we can come together (laughs) and tell those stories you we can tell everybody's story in that way even like white stories can all be told under this umbrella of current systems things like that I don't know I just was thinking about because also I am sure you've talked about in the past but um like the divide between the Afro community and the Latina community and how you know sometimes we could be on the same team if we just like talk about it yeah that's the thing it's like there's oftentimes like some people like just like jump into things without really taking a step back and overlooking and I feel like more respectful conversations about shared experiences because there are a lot of like similarities obviously not it's not like how we started this podcast you and I have a lot of similar experiences but we're not the same people we have individual stories and that's like uh the same thing with like these like big like historical stories of our people like we have similarities we have differences but like at the end of the day we just want to have the same level of respect and like same treatment as our white peers um yeah and there's room there's room for all of the stories even though we can be told that there's not even though we can tell ourselves that there's not even if it's just telling a story to a friend that's a start that's a start into getting the story out there and one of the big reasons not to steal from mediapedia is capitalism (laughs) (laughs) yeah for real yeah i mean like that's the thing though like you have to see like we have to support we have to support with our money yeah. and our attention and we have to play the game of the system that we're in. And yeah. so that's why like anything, like I don't even, I might not even be watching it like attentively, but I will sometimes just have something oh, on so that put they're getting on mute while I go to bed just to give like the extra click. Yeah. And maybe they yeah. like see that it's on mute, but I'm like, I'm in bed, but I need it to get renewed because I feel guilty if it doesn't get renewed that I didn't do my part. And like, I show up, opening weekend for a lot of the big stories that like are about people of color like I remember there like not just not just like the the big stuff but like also the smaller stuff with uh open like everything everywhere all, all at once which isn't like a Latina yeah. story but I was there opening weekend um and I was just like okay we're gonna show up and we also show up for our peers that are in different communities as well like I think that's important because we can't be asking them to show up for us if we don't show up for them and I I think everyone's stories should be told also for your own learning experience like without some of the stories I've experienced I wouldn't know as much as I do about like the difficulties of like certain communities like especially like uh, I'm Big Brother Canada I've been watching and like they do a really good job of talking about indigenous representation especially in the last few years and being like first nation and I think that's like Mm -hmm. something that like even watching global stories, uh, not just American centric ones are important to have a foundation of understanding where we all come from and all the different struggles that people can go through because of their backgrounds. Yeah, watch a movie in a different language. See what, see what you can relate to, things like that. Like that was a big thing I did in college, but even yeah. within uh, Netflix, Sometimes I'll watch Korean shows. Sometimes I'll, I'll put on a Spanish show. It's just um, a way for me to remind myself that the world is smaller than I think it is. It's a big world, but it's also yeah. much smaller than I, I think it is. And we're all connected in some way. I always go back to um, every, 
every like major religion or culture has like the flood story baked into it. Mm-hmm. Like there's Noah and the flood, but then there's also Gilgamesh had a flood. And then, you know, like, so yeah. we were all here yeah, <laughs> when this big flood happened and we all told stories to try and figure out what the flood means, try to rationalize that. And those are the differences we can be celebrating as we're going through this communal experience called life. Yeah, celebrate each other because you have one life to live and it's more fun to be around people that you can learn from. I think it's more fun to be around different cultures and learning different cultures. Like I love trying different foods and that's like one of the big things, like a culture is shared through food oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, and have conversations with, have the difficult conversations. mm -hmm. Don't be, like that's part of the work too. Not only do we need to show up for each other, um, under capitalism but we have to also show up for each other um emotionally and have the conversations and answer the questions and ask the questions that need to be asked 100 percent. now marissa is there anything that you have in mind that you want to share that we haven't hit any any other thoughts mm. um and i'm sure if you're like oh i don't have any now but then like as soon as we hang up you're like i wrote down <laughs> i have this 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 <laughs> I just was reviewing my notes. I think, you know, um, I I think the only thing I would say is your point about who's telling the story, I think is really important. And it's a good reminder that even if I see a Latina story to look to see who's telling it, because that will be the filter in which the story is being told. And so, um, you know, as much as I look to media, which is, it's a dangerous position for me to be in, right? Like I am getting my cultural identity through the filter of a writer, a producer, an editor, you know what I mean? Like all of these different filters, I'm trying to search for something. Um, So talk to people about what you're viewing, (laughs) do the research in terms of who's making, who's making the stories and um, do your, like, in a good way, do your own research. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) like find out, go to the library. And that like, this is a pep talk to myself. Like, don't just take everything for, for face value. Um, Uh, And you can always continue to learn like via the media, like even myself, like I didn't realize that there were still like stories on survivor that could impact me the way, like I thought there was like no way a modern survivor season could, make me feel as emotionally invested as like when I first got into the show but this last season like just two random people living their lives playing this show and Jesse and Carla made me feel so culturally empowered and like gave me like representation that I didn't even know that I needed at that point uh like I I was like oh my god like hearing them talk about themselves and like just brought me back to like when I was younger and I didn't really have a ton of like Latino people to look up onto on TV like uh, besides the Sesame Street people, it was like George Lopez show and then the Wizards of Waverly Place, mm-hmm. which didn't even have a full Latina cast uh, in their mm-hmm. roster. Same with George Lopez. But uh, just to see like these two people like succeeding and thriving on this show were was so exciting. And it was just super rewarding of an experience. And at the end of the day, spoilers, they didn't win, but I still think they came away like being what I will take away from the season. Yeah, uh, they won my heart, that's for sure. They yeah. uh, showed up, you know, full, as a full human in that situation and didn't have to censor themselves. And, and they were authentically cool. Latino, and which was super yeah. cool. Like one of the episode yeah. titles, I think, was like watching a telenovela or something. I was like, yeah. 
that's that's iconic behavior <laughs> um, from Carla and Jesse. Um, and also Gio was on the season two and he told a, co- a lot of good stories, but like um, he just went out much earlier. So we didn't get to see as much of his story as we got to see with Jesse and Carla. Um, so I, I'm excited about them and like the fact that I got to experience that, um, especially when I was probably at the, on the lowest point of my Survivor fandom uh, right before the season started. I didn't even know if I was going to watch mm-hmm. the season. And then I put the first episode on. I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going through it. And then I was invested and now I'm like back in it, like almost like that was, the most exciting season to me in years just because of like the personal connection I developed with these two people. Um, yeah. It, it makes a big difference when you can uh, see yourself reflected. Yeah. Um, anyways, Marissa, do you want to start winding this down? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't have, I, I went through my notes. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I think oh, the only a- other shout out I would put, there is one more. Zaleda on for all mankind, her okay. story is really good if you're looking yeah. for a science immigrant nasa space story of a latina yeah. woman also one other thing that i have an example that like is relevant because you're on the podcast but um in one of the last episodes of this is us we saw the miguel mm. flashback and yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things that they did was when they had miguel go into his job interview with david de mm. from wizards of Waverly place <laughs> um <laughs> He got interviewed as Michael because he sent two resumes in. And I always, that always stuck with me since that episode aired. And I was really excited about that, the show doing something like that. Also, the show supports one day at a time. So we also love that part of This Is Us. Um, yes. When they, yes. they, they shouted out. Uh, so like that was something, and I wanted to bring that up while you were here that I thought of just now. Um, because you covered that This was- Is Us. Yes, I did. And that, but that was interesting because that one episode was like the most Latina story we yeah. got out of the whole the whole thing. But it, it did. There since it, episode one or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was there the whole time. Yeah. Um, but uh, what we got in that episode was really good. Yeah. Um, anyways, Marissa, tell everyone what yeah. you're up to. And also, I like to wow. ask people for a pop culture plug of something they are not covering. And for this series, I'd like mm-hmm. people to give me at least one thing that is Latine, but you can also shout something else out that might not be. Oh. Um, also, this is something I'm going to add this year. If you have any Latine dishes that you recommend people, like in terms oh. of food, let's expand people's palates. Hmm. Mm. Okay. All right. So I guess my recommendation would be for all mankind. Uh, okay. it, it's, it's something that I'm not covering. It's not 100% a Latine story, but there is a Latine storyline in it. Yes. It's very relatable. It's very good. Um, it deals a lot with like immigration, but also like a woman being good at math. <laughs> like there's like a whole, a whole bunch of things it touches on in there. Um, in I terms of what. Yeah, he really would. Um, when it comes to what I'm covering, I am on Poetry Recaps these days talking about you. Um, you. That, show, that, show, that joke gets me every time. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, talking about you, the show on Netflix um, with Latanya Starks. And we are in the, the start of season four coverage just if you're not familiar with the show you it's actually split into two parts of the season so we're doing our first part coverage and our second part coverage um so you can hear me there i also just wrapped up coverage of national treasure edge of history which does it is very latina censored they talk about a lot of things but maybe not in the best cohesive 
way. Oh, no. So I'm just telling you, like, if you if you want to hear things like Mexicans were there in Texas before America, like, because we don't really talk about that that often. That is a space for that, but the story itself could be better. <laughs> That's all I'm just gonna say. Yeah. About that. But listen, um, if we're gonna have, we want representation we have to take the the misses it's true yeah and they they actually like they put a lot of um they put a lot of facts in there they talked a lot about of our history but then also the main character is a daca kid and so um you got to hear a little bit about her experience and how she always had a backpack and and that kind of thing so they they put the pieces the pieces were there yeah it's just have been a little bit better but please do watch it for for the um or at least have it on for the yep. uh, signal of a our stories our stories matter and then um other i am covering dear edward as well which is a story about grief on um apple plus so you if you're interested in hearing about anything else i'm covering you can follow me on twitter at mars bars m-a-r-z-b-a-r-s <laughs> thank you Great handle. I, i'm a big fan every time you say i was like that was that was inspired Thank you. And then um, in terms of like expanding the palette, the first thing that came to mind is actually like not very flavorful, <laughs> but it is, it's pretty, uh, it's called, it's just a sugar tortilla. So it's Love like it. something in my family that like we have after every meal or have with breakfast and coffee, you just make like a regular tortilla, but you put sugar in it basically. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a little bit thicker but it hits it hits the spot and it's like the little hug that I need. That or tamales, but tamales are tamales. Like yeah. tamales are their own. Everybody should know about tamales. Yes. Um, but a sugar tortilla is a Garza family staple. So I just yeah. will plug those. Uh, one last question, because I know yeah. uh, you got around. But like, did your family ever do like blending? food cultures between the Polish mm. food and the Mexican food? Like, did they ever, like, did no. you ever have any, like, Garza family recipes where they, like, were like, <laughs> let's take part of this dish and this dish and combine it? No, but I kind of do want to make, like, a, like, a Mexican pierogi now. It's, like, Ooh. pierogies and empanadas are almost yeah. the same, yeah. but not really. Like, one's boiled. It's like noodles. Noodles not, and pasta. Yeah. Like, it's, like, everyone comes to their own conclusions eventually. It's just different yeah. parts of the world. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think like every culture, I I used to have a a blog called one world, one plate. And the tagline was every culture has a tortilla because every culture does have a tortilla. (laughs) So I was, I'm really into finding those um, commonalities or like um, every culture has a hot pocket, (laughs) you know, like there's, there's some similarities somewhere. Um, But yeah, the family, in terms of my family experience, we, we didn't, um, blend them as much as we could have or can we still can so thanks for the idea opportunity yeah the first post-show recap saying that we're both at well i'll bring you something brazilian and then you can bring me something uh polish and mexican (laughs) you got it all right thank you so much for doing this me marissa i had a great time and i'm excited for people to check this conversation out thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and here's to telling more stories of ours And there you have it, folks, my lovely conversation with the lovely, the incredible, the iconic Marissa 
Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I am very excited to investigate further the every culture has a hot pocket, every culture has a tortilla topic with Marissa in our private conversations. And hopefully, maybe she does like a YouTube channel about it. I would be here for it. The Marissa Garza Cooking Show, sign me up. Anyways, I like to do my own Latino pop culture plugs and Promised Land, as always, is going to be my MVP. But Mariel Molino, who was one of the stars of Promised Land, who I had the pleasure of talking to earlier on this podcast series, is currently on a project called The Watchful Eye, which is airing on Hulu. Andres Velez was also on Promised Land, and he has a role in it. And it's like a spooky murder, true crime-esque story. Um, In interviews, Mariel has been saying it has a Hitchcockian vibe, which I can't personally comment on because your boy's a scaredy cat. But I've been able to watch the show and not been ooky spooky yet. Um, One, uh, it's not as scary as The Last of Us, which is also something that I would recommend. That's also giving me Latino boy joy. But... I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Marissa. Check out The Watchful Eye. Check out The Last of Us. And until next time, everybody, si se puede and echa pa'lante.